0: I have a crazy podcast coming up for you. We were taping it in multiple parts, staggered over Thursday night, three playoff games, the NFL draft, good God almighty. It's all next. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is gonna be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, is there, learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is stressful enough, just with the airport situation, no matter where you're going, it's always packed, you're always worried the weather might be bad, is my plane gonna get delayed? You just want the actual place you're staying at to be a lights out experience. So if you've booked a vacation rental and you found yourself stuck making small talk with the host, or you've arrived to find out it doesn't look anything like the pictures, you know that's that's the worst. You could avoid the awkwardness with Verbo. Verbo has helped travelers find great private vacation rentals for nearly thirty years. You heard me correctly. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your private vacation rental in the Verbo app. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. You might have heard of it. I hope you have been checking out our two of our newest podcasts, Matt Bellany, The Town. It's about Hollywood. Man, is it relevant these days with all the stuff happening at Netflix. And um, it is just, it has the pulse. Get a lot of anecdotal feedback. People who love the town. Same thing for Plain English with Derek Thompson, who has really done a great job of tapping into smart guy stuff over and over and over again. Had a podcast about quarterbacks this week, actually. I have been on the Prestige TV podcast twice. Not once, but twice. Broke down Winning Time, episode eight. And we also talked about We Own This City. It was me, Chris Ryan, and Big Waz on both. So check those out. Hope you checked out the rewatchables as well. We did League of Their Own if you missed it. Coming up on this podcast, going to talk basketball, playoffs, all the games tonight with Kevin O'Connor and Rob Mahoney, and the happiest Philly fan alive, the Ringers' Ben Solak. is going to break down and especially lively NFL draft for us. It's all next. First, our friends from Projet. <laughs> All right, we are taping this. It is 9.30 Pacific time. We taped earlier with Rob Mahoney and Kevin O'Connor. So much happened today. We had to bring them back to launch the pod. Ben Solek's going to come on after them, talk about the NFL draft. Then we're bringing KOC and Mahoney back from earlier to talk (laughs) about the first two games. Utah and Dallas went down to the wire. I can't remember. I'm sure it's happened. Bogdanovich, to save Utah's season has the most wide open three I can ever, ever remember for a buzzer beater with your season on the line. And I thought it was going in. The Utah crowd thought it was going in. I thought he maybe he didn't think it was going in because it was short. But in the air, I was like, that's going in. And then it was just short. Crowd's dead. It was just, the sound was sucked out of the arena. And that's it. The Utah era is done. KOC, is that it? Are we going to see this Utah team again? It's over. It's
1: done. You know how Danny Ainge operates, Bill. His first trade is Celtics GM, the first big trade training, Antoine Walker away. Trades uh, Isaiah Thomas months after he has a top five MVP season and has emotional connection to the fans. Ainge has never cared about emotional connection to players, and Jazz fans are smart enough to know that this core, with Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, who was absolutely horrific in this series, especially down the stretch, that turnover. I mean... It's so, that was a, you know,
0: that honestly, that was an old guy turnover. Yeah. That's like an, um, the near the end of my career turnover.
1: But for the jazz here, it's it's done with this core. It's just a matter of what opportunities are going to present themselves over the offseason for them to make a big move and reshuffle things here. Because e- even even if you keep Gobert and Mitchell together, even if you do that, everything else got to change. Like everything else has to change. You need more wing defenders have to have more stoppers on defense. It can't be solely on Rudy Gobert, who by the way, before that Conley turnover made a great stop on that layup by Luca. Like that was a really great defensive play ran the floor. It's, it's too bad for Utah. And there's so much bad shooting down the stretch of that game too. the, the step back by Conley, the pull up by Bogdanovich earlier. Uh, just, it was ugly to watch Utah throughout the entire season. And tonight
2: it wasn't a great series. The poetry of it is not lost on me, though, in terms of the team that every year bows out of the playoffs because they had open threes. They just didn't hit this time. Yeah. And for that to be the way they go, I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus. that That's that's as good a look as you could possibly
0: hope to get. Well, they, they should have lost tonight, and they, they did, but they almost stole it. They should have lost game four, and they actually stole that one. And both times, Dallas, this last-minute offense from them where they just need one more play to finish a game off and they have who? someone do you think would be one of the best closers. I didn't like the shot either time where you have Luca, 50 feet from the basket, you know, with <laughs> in, in the right corner next to the midcourt card hash line with seven seconds left trying to make a move on Gobert. I, I just didn't understand that at all. They also could have gone even for a two-for-one potentially. But Dallas kind of, when you think like they don't have Luca for the first couple games of this series... They blow game four and they still win this series pretty convincingly. I almost think that says more about Utah. I don't feel like this was, um, you know, it, nice win for Dallas. They definitely skated by tonight with that Bogdanovich three, but ultimately mm-hmm. Utah was not very good. And the, dro- the, the drop from, from where Utah is to where they're about to go, having to play Phoenix in this next round, who we talk about later in the podcast, like, good luck, Dallas. This is, this is going to be a jump. Um, on the Utah thing, Rob, what's your move? How, how much TNT are we using in the remodeling? Is this a full, I'm using all my explosives or is this, I'm, I'm going to basically knock out the master bedroom and maybe build out of the back and I might do something about the office and I'm like, how much are we doing here? Are Are we using explosives to take out like a, like a house? That seems yeah, well, like overkill, maybe. Or maybe a building. Like when people, if <laughs> they blow up a building, I don't know. <laughs> or they blow up an old sports arena or something.
1: This is a great twist on the property brothers here.
0: <laughs> yeah, seriously.
2: Whatever it is, I just want to be the one who pushes the plunger to do it. I think. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but yeah, th- I think the foundational pillars have to change. I think, obviously, the Mitchell Gobert thing has run its course in a lot of ways, but it's not just them. It's, the structure of that perimeter defense. It's frankly like, I think Quinn Snyder does a lot of great things Mm -hmm. as a coach. I don't know if he feels limited by what Rudy Gobert can do or not, but this is a team that is super dogmatic defensively to Mm. the point that, you know, I'm I'm not even saying you have to switch a lot. I'm not saying you have to do anything too radical, but even in this game, this deep into the series, they couldn't come up with an alternative rotation so that Rudy Gobert wouldn't have to go from the paint out to the corner to contest threes that the Mavs were still getting. Wide open corner threes. I don't know why you can't change your scheme to adapt, to adjust for that, to take away some of those possibilities, to have someone rotating from a different angle. There seems like a lot of things that could have been on the board, and yet I I don't know why this Jazz team feels they need to play in such a limited fashion, but they absolutely have. So whatever whatever needs to happen to take that mental block off, I think that's
0: the first step. KOC. A good way to think about this is, let's go backwards. Who are the keepers on this team? Who are the unequivocal? Well, we got to keep that guy. The Jazz? Surprisingly, not that many. I mean, you could basically tell me it's just Mitchell and Bogdanovich and everybody else is expendable. You could even tell me everyone's expendable. How many keepers do you think they have?
1: Zero. None. I mean, like the closest thing is is obviously Mitchell or Gobert. Um, But even then... Neither of those guys are untouchable. You know, you're you're open. You're listening. If somebody gives you a call, if the if the Knicks win the lottery and land a top four pick, and they're offering something with that future picks, young players for Mitchell, you're listening. If the Nets call up and say, "Hey, uh, what do you think about Ben Simmons for Rudy Gobert?", you're listening. Uh, I I think for the Utah, I'm in on that one. D-
0: I, that was one of your better ideas. I saw that the other day. that 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 one at least solves solves some. Um, some fun content problems for us this summer as we try to figure <laughs> out what we're going to talk about. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a great reason. get a week of podcasts out of that?
1: Yeah, D- <laughs> Danny Ainge calling in for the ringer.com. Danny, <laughs> thanks for the help yeah. We appreciate no, it. B- but but seriously, though, like with Danny Ainge, I know people make fun of him saying almost Ainge this and that because of some of the misses that he's had. But Danny Ainge has authored some of the bigger, riskier moves in the last 20 years in the NBA. The trade down from one to three faults for Tatum. Like that's a guts, man. Like K- how about KG
0: and Pierce? No
1: kidding. Exactly. Trading, even trading Al Jefferson for KG, never mind trading them away but when he did for all the picks. So
0: also, I he think- took Marcus Smart and Robert Williams. He took Grant Williams. I mean, granted, you know, he took Romeo Lankford in the same draft, but he did take Grant Williams, who turned out to be a really valuable role player yeah. who got right in Kevin Durant's chest and guarded him for long stretches of playoff games.
1: I, I don't want to turn it into like a Danny Ainge love fest. I think like no, it's the he's good. Though. Thing. He, he's good. And I think for jazz fans, they, they have, you know, head coaches for 20 plus years. They had Quinn Snyder for eight years. They're used to cores and coaching staff staying the same, but with Danny Ainge, buckle up, get ready. Yeah. Because this is, this is someone who came into a situation that is in need of major change. Like, like Rob said, it's the personnel that needs to change. Cause I think with Quinn Snyder, he definitely deserves some blame for some of the rigidity with his system, but also like like they signed Eric Pascal and Rudy Gay yeah. as their small ball guys. And then they get Hernan Gomez midseason, and it's just the options on this yeah, roster are so limited. Like if Gobert, when Gobert is pulled to the perimeter, as we saw tonight with the Jazz switching far more often in the postseason, there's nobody inside who can help offer any help if somebody gets by him. So I I think for Utah, it's the defense that needs to change. It's the head coach that needs to change. And if the right deal is out there for either of those stars or both, uh, even that is a situation where maybe you go total blow it up mode. Um, but I'm not all the way there with them. I still think keeping one of Gobert or Mitchell could be in their best interest, depending on what the return is for one of those guys.
2: Yeah, one thing I'm going to have a hard time getting out of my head is Jalen Brunson just straight up outplayed Donovan Mitchell in this series. Oh yeah, I, I I don't know how you can feel super great about Mitchell's trajectory when something like that happens. Like this should be the time for him when everything starts coming together in terms of how he reads the floor, when he's attacking, who he's attacking, manipulating the game. And we've seen Mitchell's progress in some of those areas kind of hit a wall. And I'm I'm waiting for the next evolution of his game. I'm, I hope he can get over whatever hump seems to be in front of him. But right now. Guys like Brunson
0: are doing very similar things on more efficient shooting. I don't think it's a hump at this point. I think the situation is what it is. You know, he ca- he came in with that kind of Booker, Tatum, Towns, Jalen Brown's kind of generation, whatever that generation is, and all those guys have ascended in different ways, especially Booker and uh, Tatum, who I think were kind of peer groups for him, right? Tatum and Mitchell were in the same draft, weren't they? 2017? Yeah. Yeah. Um. And he's just not a two-way guy like those guys. We've talked about this a few times on the pod, but he's probably closer to C.J. McCollum than he is to Devin Booker. He's an offense-first guy. I think he's a, at least in this series, was a legitimate liability. And he got outplayed by Jalen Brunson, who's about to go in the free agent market. He's for contracts 30, 32, 35, 37 next four years. In general, we didn't mention this yet, the Jazz they're on the books next year for 155.6. Mm. Now that's that's the number like right now, without adding minimum guys, draft picks, whatever else you have. So that's a tax team. This is a team that will not be one of the best, I think, seven teams in the West next year. So we're in legitimate blow it up mode. I was looking, what if it's everybody? Because Conley's gonna be the really tough one. Conley's 21 million next year. And there is no world where he's, you know, if he's in the free agent market this summer, he's, I would say, somewhere like a five to six. He's in that, what like Patty Mills got last summer. But maybe they're the team that takes Westbrook. Oh, Maybe a there's a version God. where... Oh. I was trying, I'd try to think of a four-team trade where Mitchell goes to the Knicks mm-hmm. with Hernan Gomez. Brooklyn gets Gobert. They get Derrick Rose and Royce O'Neal. The Lakers get Ben Simmons. Mike Conley and Kemba Walker (laughs) and the jazz get Russell Westbrook, Joe Harris, Taylor Horton Tucker and RJ Barrett. And it's just, we blew it up. We got nothing left. We're going for 20 wins this year and we're building around RJ Barrett. And we'll, we'll take your Westbrook poison pill for a year. Everybody else is gone. Give us a ton of picks. The Knicks send them picks. The Lakers send them picks broken. They just get everybody's picks and they just start over. I would rather do that than go 42 and 40 next year with, with a luxury tax. (laughs) Right?
2: Yeah, this is nowhere near a luxury tax team. Like they they just do not have the roster to justify it. And I think most damningly, they don't have any young guys who you're looking at and saying that's the guy who's immediately gonna take a jump. That's the that's the young player in waiting yeah. that's gonna transform our team. Mitchell was supposed to be that guy. Gobert was supposed to be that guy. Unless you're, I guess miles higher on Nikhil Alexander-Walker than the consensus is. I'm not looking at this roster and seeing that. <laughs> Was he that on this rant. team? He is technically <clears throat> on his <clears throat> <the throat> team. We did see
0: him on playoffs. It all goes back to that crazy Terrence Mann game, right? You think like, there are these weird moments sometimes that happen in the playoffs. Like the Clippers had one in 15 when all of a sudden Corey Brewer and Josh Smith are basically <laughs> ending this CP3 oh, yeah. Blake Griffin thing. And last year, that Terrence Mann game where they blow, I, I went to it. 26 point lead and they were never the same. I came out of that season thinking they're never gonna be the same. I don't know how you bounce back from that. It was way worse than I thought it was gonna happen. KOC one out of ten, blow it up. You're a ten. You're blowing uh, everything mean, up. I mean everything's, I'm not, everything's gone. It's a no, it's a first season. No, no, no. no, I'm not
1: I'm not quite a 10, and that's because of my belief in Donovan Mitchell. Okay. Uh I, I think while his stock is down, I'm buying low. I'm. I'm trying. You just to, said they had
0: no keepers, so he, he's a semi-keeper no, he, for you. Well,
1: he, he's a he's a semi-keeper depending on what the return is. But you're talking about someone who's only going to be 26 year old next season, who we haven't seen him in a situation that, like you just mentioned, how Jalen Brunson has shined and outperformed Mitchell in the series. Well, Brunson is playing oftentimes in a five-out offense and yeah. more spacing, and he's playing with Luca in that backcourt as well with Mitchell. I would be very curious about seeing him in a different environment, in a different situation here. I don't think, I think at his age, everything I've heard about him since he was in college, work ethic wise, it's a bet on character. Yeah, I think, I think he's, I think he's better than he was in this series, including on defense. So I, I, I'd be hesitant to trade Mitchell unless the return is outrageous, especially considering he mentioned their money, but he still has three more guaranteed years left on his deal before a fourth year player option. So like you still have time with him to me, Rudy Gobert is the guy you look to move to a team that has real contending hopes that can fit Gobert in right away. Like imagine Gobert in place of Robert Williams in Boston. Like just, just envision that you'd see, you'd see a brand new version of Rudy Gobert that we've never been able to see before. And I think with
0: Mitchell, I didn't like that analogy. How come? I like Robert Williams. You hurt my feelings. I don't, oh. I don't want to imagine Rudy Gobert in a Boston jersey. I can't come up with a different team. It might be an upgrade, Bill.
1: As amazing as Robert can't Williams
0: see. is. You're going to get cut off by the podcast bar. <laughs> Just stop. Stop. This is bad. Time Lord is our guy. Oh, I, I know, was like know. the last person to come around on Time Lord. I was, I was holding out to the bitter end. He even won me over. Um, Rob, quickly on Dallas Phoenix. I mean, there is like the Luka just best player in the series potential. Phoenix is a way better team. Mikael Bridges gets to guard Luka. This is yeah. a fun series. I'm excited for this. The Jalen Brunson piece. Um, I don't think Dallas has nearly enough talent to hang, but we've learned not to rule out if one team has just an awesome guy that can go toe-to-toe with a team. That could oh, be yeah. a problem. But the way w- what we saw from Chris tonight, which we'll talk about later, I'm not too confident on Dallas's chances. What do you think?
2: Well, there's a pretty sharp contrast in how these teams execute down the stretch in close games, right? You know, you have total confidence in what Phoenix is doing. As we talked about, this Dallas team can be pretty reductive, pretty blunt in terms of just like running Luka high action over and over and over. Sometimes that looks great. You know, when his step back is clicking, he can hit enough shots. He can, he can show guys up. They can win that way. But it can, it can be a little solvable sometimes too. It can be a little bit unreliable. So I would be, I'm I'm a I'm a little concerned for the Mavs in some of those close games, but I love how they look with this five out system. You know, like this five out style with Dorian Finney-Smith at the five specifically. Um, having Luca back in the lineup for that, with where his rebounding can help them kind of round out those smaller lineups, they look super dangerous that way. They they look really dynamic. They have so much space, not only for Luca but for Brunson and Dinwiddie to slash and make moves and move the defense. I think they're going to need stuff like that because. You know if Mikhail Bridges is guarding Luca, you're gonna need ways to both go through him and to work around him to to space things out and create as much uh much room for those other drivers as possible so i would I would look forward to that and to see if they can
0: put DeAndre Ayton into some tough spots just like they did Rudy gobert all right k o c rank the eight playoff teams for me and we'll we'll say Memphis wins that series because i would okay. I would be surprised if they did not so include Memphis all right,
1: all right. okay. how about we start at eight? Let's start at eight uh, yep. at the bottom here gonna go with. Philly right now at eight. Worried about hard and upside right now. We'll see how that develops, like we'll talk about later. Dallas, seven. Okay. Miami, six. Yeah. Memphis, five.
0: Milwaukee, Milwaukee
1: four. And then we got Phoenix, three. Golden State, two. And I'm going Boston, one, for all the reasons we talk about later in the podcast. Is is that just
0: because you're on the Bill Simmons podcast? Sucking not, just to I'm on, the, not sucking not just up to the I'm on family the on
1: this <laughs> podcast here de- de- definitely not sucking up to the family okay. I, th- I think our discussion later is really good breaking down their defense and and all and i mean we i don't think we even get into the development of tatum later but no no um, you guys have talked about that plenty on your pod and i think well, boston number one right now is fair with the middleton injury right now yeah. that's yep. a factor the uncertainty with devin booker and with Golden State, I just give Boston a slight edge at this moment. But if Booker if Booker is able to return to full health and if Middleton at some point if they get past Boston and get back Middleton, uh obviously that changes everything for the Bucks.
2: Was that was that Memphis over Philly, you think?
0: I would have yeah. the, I would have Memphis over Philly as well. Really? Yeah. I would have I would have Dallas Eight, though. I think that Dallas-Utah Dallas, okay. series was one of those. It's a classic first-round series that we'll look back and we'll be like, oh, neither of those teams were that great. Mm. Um, but I would, have, I would have Phoenix one, and I would have Boston but two. Th-
1: the, thing with, the thing with Dallas, though, is like we were just talking about, it's not just Luka. Yep. Jalen Brunson looks Unbelievable. Like the, what he's it's doing. It's fine. I, I
0: just don't think Utah's very good. I, I want to yeah, see that, them do it against it a much higher caliber competition. That,
1: that's fair though Bill, but Brunson's been doing it all year long. When Luka was out early in the season, he averaged like 22 points, 7 7 assists. He was awesome. For them earlier, he was great all season long. Every he's one of the more efficient ISO scorers in the league. He can it's score great. In so many different ways. It's
0: good if you want to win a first round series. I, yeah, I, th- I
1: I think the sample. I think the sample with Brunson, he hasn't gotten the high usage at all, except for when Luca has been out. But we're now seeing what him and Luca can do together when they're empowering Brunson in ways that they haven't in the past. I, I I'm a buyer. And what we've seen from Brunson in the first round. Granted, you're right. Like the Jazz defense is weak; it, it's an easier matchup for him, and it'll be a much stiffer challenge when he might have like Mikel Bridges defending him on some possessions. Um, mm. But that's true Good against any, anybody when you're defended by Mikel Bridges. I, I'm I'm buying on Jalen Brunson.
2: What do you got, Rob? I mean, I don't want to gloss over the fact with Dallas too that I mean they just held the best regular season offense in the league to 96 points in this closeout game. I think they're they're pretty stout defensively. Like what Dorian Finney yes. Smith and Reggie Bullock can do on the perimeter, I am I can't wait to watch those guys run up against CP and and hopefully a healthier Devin Booker by the time that series starts. But I'm I'm in a similar framing. Like I'm still thinking. I mean, again, I'll I'll just I'll just take the pandering and and say Boston won.
0: Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I don't even have Boston one. I have two.
2: Well, it for me, it's it's Booker's <laughs> injury. Like, if Booker is healthy, Phoenix is one. Uh, but until we see, I that, still had
0: the game seven. of the game seven at Phoenix still matters for me in this rankings, in the finals, that's fair. Anyway, all right. So you have, you have Boston one, Phoenix two, Golden State three. Who's four? Yeah, I would go. I'm gonna go Miami. Man. Shit,
2: I'm trying to. Th- I'm, it's th- hard once you get
0: to four. That's it's, it's it's really, really uh, tough. I think Whoever I, are you like personally.
2: I think I have to go Miami 4 because if I'm putting Boston 1, I'm saying they're probably going to beat the Bucs. And so it would go Miami 4, Milwaukee 5, Philly 6, Memphis 7, Dallas 8, I think is how I'd put it.
0: Hmm. If Milwaukee had Middleton, I would have them third, I think. Without Middleton, I think you had that right. I would go Miami 4, Milwaukee 5, and then on down the line. All right, It sucks. You guys are coming back a little bit later in the podcast. We're going to talk about the first two games in the Boston-Milwaukee matchup. Coming up next, Ben Solak talking about the draft. See you guys in a little bit. Don't just watch the NBA playoffs. Be a part of the NBA playoffs with FanDuel, an official partner of the NBA. All new customers get a risk-free first bet up to $1,000. Place any bet on the NBA playoffs. If you don't win, you'll get up to $1,000 back. In site credit, FanDuel, you get the easy-to-use app. You get fast winnings paid to you. You get same game parlays. You get really fun futures. I mean, for round two, you could parlay the Celtics and Miami together if you think that's going to be round three. Throw those two together, you'll get better than even odds. You can just bet the Celtics in game one with the under. If you like that, that's Sunday. Download FanDuel America's number one sportsbook today. You can do any of these things and use promo code BS even better. Place your risk-free first bet for a chance to take home a WM basketball's biggest stage and remember, use promo code BS for this amazing offer. You must be 21 plus and present in select states only. First online real money wager. Only $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit. That expires 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP, Connecticut, 888-789-777. In Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, 1-800-GAMBLER. In Michigan, 800-270-7117. 1-877-770-STOP. In Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Tennessee red line is 800-889-9789. And in West Virginia, 1800-GAMBLER.net. All right, we're taping this part of the podcast. It is 8.40 Pacific time. The first round in the NFL draft just ended. The Terminator, Ben Solak, is here. What a night for him. Sixers staving off a potential game seven. It just would have been an all-time catastrophe in the works. Did not happen. Blow out the Raptors. Then your Eagles, you're rooting for this. You're rooting for them to get a little frisky. Yes, sir. They got super frisky. Were they the winners of the draft for you?
3: One, one of the, the, the few winners, certainly. There's always more than one. But when you look at what they needed defensively in terms of almost letting Fletcher Cox walk in free agency this year, needing to be able to run this too high defense, needing to be able to get more, more substantial size up front to play with these light boxes. And then they kept on drafting these young receivers and they clearly can't evaluate them super well or develop them super well. And they just said, you know, send it to hell. We're going to go and get 24-year-old A.J. Brown Really, really, really good night for the Eagles, both in terms of the short term, evaluating their coaching staff, evaluating Jalen Hurts, and the long term. This is really nice build for moving on from Fletcher Cox, saving some money, and also laying the foundation for a different quarterback than Hurts, if that's what it calls for. So, great night for them. Great night for the Jets. Great night for the Giants. Great night for the Ravens.
0: Uh, Well, wait. We'll talk about those other teams in a second. Yeah. The Eagles, they made a new contract with A.J. Brown, too. Yeah. They Four somehow years. got him in a trade... For like slightly more than what the Cardinals gave up for Hollywood Brown, which was the single craziest transaction of the night, unless you count the Patriots taking Cole Strange 29th. Um, but the AJ Brown, like, you know, sometimes I I just you talked about this the last time you were on the pod about what is the value of these elite guys? Is it two firsts? Is it one first? Is it one first and a, you know, a high mid-round pick? And then AJ Brown. You could have told me they traded two firsts for him, and I I think I would have believed it. Why was the price for him so low? For AJ? Or for Hollywood? I'm going to make sure I get my brows correct. For AJ.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Right, I think for AJ, the expectation of of signing the extension is always going to change things a little bit, right? That's part of the hang-up with Debo Samuel uh, moving from the Niners, which is something that did not happen tonight. You know that you're going to have to spend a lot of money, and it always hurts to trade picks to spend money. Because one of the nice things about making picks is you get rookie contracts. So you spend the pick, but you don't have to spend the money. Uh The Eagles were in a position to be comfortable with that. They had bottom five lowest amount of money spent on wide receivers among all teams in the league when you look at full salary cap. Uh, because they were just full of rookies, full of young guys. And so they had uh, money at the position to spend. Whereas the Titans clearly felt as if they were not going to be able to get a good contract with A.J. Brown for where they liked him. And so the Eagles give Brown what amounts to twenty five million per year, right? That's a hundred million over four years on the extension. So if you add in the fifth year, it's not going to be as much, but technically twenty five per year on the extension, which is that kind of magic number now. That's the number Debo was after. It's it's a big number, but only fifty seven million guaranteed is really not that bad when you look at the size of that contract. Fifty seven million guaranteed. 14.5, 15, 15 million guaranteed per year is, is not too bad on a contract that size. And so I think for a first and a third, expecting to sign that big extension, overall, not too bad. Got to remember, the Cardinals had to uh, uh, got Marquise Brown and the 100th overall pick, right? So they got Brown and then another round three pick just for that first overall, which was 23, a little bit of a, a less expensive pick. But Marquise Brown is not remotely in AJ Brown's tier. I would say I don't know he's, if he's two tiers below.
0: Yeah, is he one of the top like 40 ro- wide receivers in the league? I wouldn't have him if we made the list. Like two weeks ago, we did this thing. With the, we did the value of a different receiver. Mm-hmm. Basically, all the position guys who weren't quarterbacks. I, I wouldn't have even put him on my honorable mention.
3: Yeah, if you want to see what being speed-pilled looks like in the NFL, look at the way that Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury build that team. Right? Because there was no reason to not pay Christian Kirk The even the Jags extension to then trade a first round pick for Marquise Brown, who the only thing he does better than Christian Kirk is be fast. That's it, right? This team is so oriented on verticality, so oriented on team speed, so oriented on being able to stretch the field that they are bringing in a small receiver who's plagued by drops, plagued by inconsistency, who doesn't have much of a role besides running down the field. And you would have thought when they spent a second round pick on Andy Isabella four years ago, and that totally lampooned because he could only do one thing that they would have learned their lesson. But they knew A.J. Brown didn't was upset with the Titans. They could have made a call to John Robinson. I'm sure they did and ask and see yeah. what the situation was with A.J. Brown. But they have prioritized team speed, especially on offense, more than any other trait in Arizona. And that's how you get guys like Marquise Brown on this sort of a trade. It's how you get a top 10 pick on Isaiah Simmons because you just believe being fast is the solution. This is the NFL, baby. You gotta hit somebody. And the Cardinals don't believe that. And that that's a problem in their team building philosophy right now.
0: Well, wasn't isn't he close to Kyler Murray too? That was the other thing that seemed like mm-hmm. a let's try to make Kyler a little more happy move.
3: Oklahoma connection. Yep. They played together in college. And and that always is good. That's always nice. It's important to keep your quarterback happy. But
0: hey, I think, is it?
3: I think it? I think it would have been easier to just sign him to the extension. That yeah. probably would have kept him happy too.
0: Right. I uh I, the Cardinals were on my list for worst run teams, and they might have might have started climbing a little bit. I didn't get that right. at, at all. I don't know they, why they wouldn't yeah. have gone for AJ. I don't know why make make a run at Debo Samuel if you're going to try to get splashy. Why yeah. are you getting splashy with Hollywood Brown? At least there were didn't good guys left chance. on the board.
3: Yeah. Which like, you know, small trade up for Jahan Dotson, not sexy but good. Like, you know, go and try to get uh Traylon Burks at Arkansas, who's another like speed guy. He's just big. He's actually like like physical. He's dense, he's explosive. Would have worked. Uh they didn't draft another first round linebacker, which is a great success. Big, big A gold star for not doing the third year in a row for the linebacker. But yeah. everything else about it is 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 a tough look. Uh the Cardinals keep believing they can build a team this way, and I think they're going to keep discovering in December to January, it doesn't play.
0: Well, Steve Kime just got an extension, so what does he care? He's, yeah, he's exactly. he got a good relationship with the owners, apparently. Uh, the Patriots did the more boring version of this, what you laid out with Kirk, and then trading draft capital to replace the guy, where they let Shaq Mason go, traded him for a fifth-round pick, and then traded back from 21 to then basically overshoot the moon for Shaq Mason's replacement. I'm not happy. My dad, who stayed up, my dad's 74, (laughs) uh, just coming back from COVID, um, stayed up late, Pat's trade back, he's like, I'll stay up a little longer, see how this goes. And then they take a guy who, uh, as he said, was not on my board.
3: Yeah, my dad, uh, Pittsburgh fan, also recovering from COVID, was going to try to stay up, and I had the picket pick comes through and I get no text. And I was like, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's asleep on the recliner. Okay, it's good to know. He'll find out tomorrow morning.
0: Well, one of the things that usually happens in the draft is people always love the Ravens, whatever they do. And they had another one where, where people came out and were like, really? Like the 14th pick, they get Hamilton, who you wrote the piece. When was that? Three, four weeks ago about Hamilton? Could the yeah. best guy in the draft be a right. safety? And why don't we value safeties? And of course, he ends up on the Ravens. They trade back up, they get a center. So everyone, once again, we have Big Ravens party. We usually don't have parties for the Jets and Giants during the draft. And yet everybody seemed to walk away from this one, being like, Jets, Giants, yeah. good work. This there is are, unusual.
3: Yeah. There are a few teams, that a lot of them, most of them are in the top ten, who just perennially do something dumb, right? We had the Panthers at six. We had the Jets four and ten, Giants five and seven, Seahawks at nine. And we were all just sitting there biting our fingernails, waiting for somebody to do something real dumb. And nobody did anything dumb, right? When the Seahawks picked Charles Cross, the proven SEC tackle, good pass protector, left tackle that they so desperately need without any sort of fanfare or kerfuffle, everybody, I think, was slackjawed. That's not what Seattle does in the first round. They trade back yeah. and go draft draft you know some running back, draft some off-ball backer. And so uh, it was a really nice night for uh, the Giants, who, firstly, did a tremendous job hiding their interest in Kayvon Thibodeau. Everybody told you that the Giants met a lot with Kayvon Thibodeau and did so because they weren't liking it, right? Like they were meeting with him trying to figure him out and it just wasn't good. And they wanted to like, give him a second try and whatever. Like that was a big narrative in the space that the Giants meet with Thibodeau because they they really want to figure out his personality. And it, meanwhile, it seems like he was the slam dunk pick at five the whole time. That was very well occluded. And then nobody really knew who their tackle of choice was. And Evan Neal eventually was the guy at seven. So really nice draft for them. And uh, Panthers at six with Ikema They've had seven seven different starting left tackles over the last seven years. They needed to get that guy in place, and they did. And then the Jets, who at four get Ahmad Sauce Gardner, who's a press corner prototype for Robert Sala's defense. They've never really spent an early pick on a corner for Sala, so it was a bit of a surprise, but he's the right sort of player for that team. They get Garrett Wilson at 10, who is wide receiver one for a lot of people. Not me, but I get it, and I understand why they liked him. And then Jermaine Johnson, the Florida State edge, who they were apparently ready to draft at four, ready to draft at 10. He's free-falling, and they trade back up. Make three first-round picks. All three guys that reportedly are top 10 on their board. This was a huge draft for Joe Douglas because he's really getting towards put-up or shut-up time with the way he's built this team. Mm. And he got three of his guys. So if he had this draft right, this is the springboard. If he had it wrong, he just kind of dug a, a grave here for the Jets. So absolutely huge watershed draft for the Jets.
0: Who should have been the first-round pick, in, uh, the first overall pick in this draft?
3: Oh, Mother Mary. Uh, trade, pass. Leave no, but
0: but <laughs> like, who's just the best player? Who do you think seven years from now? Who is the best player in this draft? Kayvon Thibodeau
3: would be my guess. Uh, the Adderall so I of feel Georgia. that way
0: too. I all the reasons mm-hmm. he dropped, and I admittedly follow this basically from reading The Ringer and listening to our podcast and reading a couple of the draft pieces in different places. But just from a general vibe. Dumbasses like me can get get the gist, right? It's like yeah. every year there's a guy like Hamilton where he's gonna fall seven to fall 7 and 10 picks lower than he should go just because of the position he plays. There's people trying to talk themselves out of somebody like Thibodeau, who if you had said at any point, you know, basically before January, who's gonna be the number one pick, he would have been one of the first two or three mentioned. He goes five. And then there's the Jags at number one talking themselves in this guy from Georgia. Basically mm-hmm. because nobody could agree who was the number one pick and it's like, oh, the upside. Blah, blah, blah. And then the the guy the Eagles get who was the better version of him at Georgia.
3: Yeah, Trayvon Walker was the first round, first overall pick for, for the Jacksonville Jaguars from Georgia was originally a defensive tackle there. And then because the other guys were too good and because of other mitigating reasons like Georgia had to get their best players on the field, but in part because he couldn't supplant Jordan Davis who went 13 to the Eagles and Devontae Wyatt who went 28 to the Packers. He moved to edge. And that is obviously a position, a premium position, a position of value for the NFL. He's a great athlete at that position. So the Jaguars made that pick. But low-key, one of the losers of the draft is the Jags. Uh, They would have loved to have traded out a one. Everybody would have. It's not a good year to have the number one overall pick. They take Walker, who, man, I don't know. I think Walker would have gone nine at the earliest if he did not go number one overall. Uh, relative to where other teams had him. So this was not a consensus top five guy. And then they trade back up into the first round at like a weird premium. They spent, uh, they they went from 35 to 27 and it's cost them a fourth and a sixth to do it, which mm. doesn't sound like a lot, but that's like more than the price of admission had been set. Like you look at the 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 Patriots and the Chiefs trade up. The Chiefs went from 29 to uh, to 21 and they just sent a third and a fourth which is eight picks earlier in the first round. It's a difference. So the Jags spent a little extra to get back in the first round to get Devin Lloyd, who's an off-ball linebacker. And there are some off-ball linebackers who should go round one, but typically there's not a lot. And in my opinion, Devin Lloyd was not one of them. So it wasn't a very good draft for Jacksonville, who spent two first-round picks on defense and still, in my opinion, has no good plan on to develop their, their ex-first overall pick and Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback. Trent not, not not the sort of guy you want running your team. And we knew that, before in the offseason and they didn't fire him and it, we're just re-emphasized with it now after the draft. I don't like the way he approached the first round.
0: Well, you think there's a couple there's a couple parallels here that I can relate to. One is that the Jags are owned by the Khan family. I don't think this is the number one thing going on in Shad Khan's life. Like, he's a big auto parts guy. He's got a lot of investments. And then the son, Tony, who's kind of the heir apparent, he's the guy who runs AEW, mm-hmm. the WWE rival. And that's what he's He's basically, the, he's like Vince McMahon on the rise in wrestling. So neither of these guys are that into it. Doesn't seem like from afar. And those are always the teams that you want drafting ahead of you in a draft. Those are the teams you want to trade with. But I look at that Walker thing. I did on TV, I did the draft when Anthony Bennett went number one to the Cavs. And it was a very similar draft to this one. There was no star. Nobody could agree who the best guy was. Everybody agreed the better guys might be in that like nine to 13 range. And kind of nobody wanted the number one pick. So the Cavs couldn't even trade down if they wanted to. And all of a sudden they talked themselves into Anthony Bennett. And when they mm-hmm. did that, they drafted him and it was a huge surprise. And I was on the broadcast and I actually made a noise, which you're kind of not supposed to do when you announce But I, I was like, whoa, I did one of those. And it, it, my mic was on. And Anthony Bennett was a bust and it didn't make sense. It was too high. Nobody really understood it. And this is kind of what this Walker thing reminded me of, not to mention like you get the pressure of being the number one pick. Mm-hmm. What if if is awesome for the Giants? You have that thing. If his Georgia teammates are good, he's going to be compared to all these other things. He's on a bad team anyway. I, it's such a bad spot for the guy. I feel bad yeah. for him.
3: And he's, And it, what's critical is this. He has to learn how to rush the passer because Georgia didn't ask him to defensively when Georgia wanted to get after the passer. They wanted to blitz. They wanted to use their linebackers, their their overhangs kind of structurally. Walker was not the sort of player that they asked. He was in this like under tackle role to blitz the passer. So with all of that visibility, number one overall pick Jaguars, new head coach, Trevor Lawrence is there, Uh, you know. Aiden Hutchinson went one pick later. Kayvon Thibodeau went four picks later. Georgia defense, incredible. Unbelievable athlete. Alden Smith comparisons. With all that visibility, he has to learn. Like He has to develop. Like He has to take reps and be bad and then get better. He's absolutely one of those players. And the Jags know it. The Jags don't expect him to walk in and dominate. So how long of a leash does this guy get in terms of, of public visibility and media coverage where it's week 10 and he's still nowhere on third down? He's still, you know, the occasional flash of athleticism. It's a bummer. Yeah, It, it, it reminds it me of the Trubisky.
0: Remember Trubisky got, was like the third pick and he had mm-hmm. how many starts did he have in college? Yeah, like he had 13? 13
3: starts and he they traded up three to two to go get him.
0: And they're like, well, you know, doesn't have a lot of reps, but the talent's there and he can learn on the job. And mm-hmm. I don't know, man. There, there's a reason why sometimes we look at the college production and you can kind of learn some stuff. Like, I don't know if Hutchinson is going to be better than Thibodeau. I, I actually, I just think that Thibodeau, the reasons that he fell were so stupid to me. He cares about more than football. He's trying to develop businesses outside. Like, what? Is the guy the most talented guy or not? Who's going to be yeah. the impact guy? The other weird thing about this draft was 12, 13, 14 might end up being like three of the best five picks in the draft, right? Williams yeah. falls to 12. Everybody agrees if he was in the draft, he could have potentially even gone first. Then you get the guy at 13 who, who, uh, you know. Decent chance he's better than the guy who went number one. And then Hamilton goes 14, who might have been the best player in the draft.
3: Absolutely. And yeah, don't sleep on as well. A couple picks later, uh, Chargers' Zion Johnson at 17 is a very, very big pick for that team. Because if they can shore up that offensive line, mm. this this team is very well set up. I like Zion Johnson at 17 a fair bit. Chris Olave also at 11 is a good ball player for the Saints. Just that was a little early, I think. Chris Olave
0: maybe was a little wide receiver run. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. Let's take, Quick break and a couple other stories to hit. All right, coming back, you um, you talked me into betting Desmond Ritter in the first round and it didn't happen. Hello. Um, it didn't seem like any of the quarterbacks happened. I I wonder, now, how much do you think they read the discourse and hear the discourse? Because in years past, teams talk themselves into the quarterbacks and they Mm -hmm. try to see stuff that's... And they go glass half full and all of a sudden teams are trading up and especially in this kind of draft in the 20s, all of a sudden people... And it just didn't happen this year. Even when we got to like 29, 30, 31, 32, I thought for sure the Pats were going to trade out at 29 and somebody was going to take Willis there at 29 with the Pats pick. That didn't happen. It was one quarterback, but this was a draft where everybody was like, yeah, we should maybe not even have any quarterbacks in the first round, maybe one max. So did everyone listen to us or were the quarterbacks that bad?
3: A six of one, half dozen of the other? It's tricky. The moment to me that really stood out was when you got the Titans at 26 and the Buccaneers at 27. And the Titans were a team that was rumored for quarterback and the Bucs were a team that were rumored for quarterback because of, you know, Brady being only so many years left to, to play for the Bucs.
0: Yeah, like then, at least eight years left, but he's, yeah. he's on his way yeah, out yeah. soon.
3: And then... Uh, The Titans traded out and the Bucs traded out. It's not that they stayed and made picks. And there were players there for the Titans and definitely players there for the Bucs that that team liked and wanted to take in round one. And they traded back. And to me, that was a strong indication that nobody in the league thought any quarterbacks were going to those last six picks, which those were the picks in that first round that still allow you to have the fifth year option on a player's contract. Only round one picks get the fifth-year option, which when you have a quarterback, that fifth-year option is unbelievably valuable because it's another year with that quarterback below market price if he is a quality starter. So I think that the the bigger agent there was the league understanding internally and from the outside discourse, we don't have to move on these quarterbacks until late. We can trade back, we can get other guys, we can be patient, and then we can attack at some time in year two. Because you heard reports like Desmond Ritter, who, trust me, I lost good money on Desmond Ritter round one. That's our uh, guy. Yeah. He's still uh, our
0: guy, though. I, I'm not still, quitting yeah. on him. I'm just a little hurt.
3: Yeah, yeah it hurts. Uh, there, you know, Jeremy Fowler of ESPN, multiple teams, uh, have round one grades on Desmond Ritter. We heard that Malik Willis, multiple teams have round one grades. And so teams had grades where they're willing to take these guys, but they're playing the draft board. And I think the draft board told them, Hey, once we get past Pittsburgh, it looks like nobody's going for this. The fact that Pittsburgh had their pit of the pick of the litter and picked pick it is. <laughs> Man, something else. I, I didn't think their Malik Willis love, which was rumored for a long time, was as strong as it was reported. But man, I would have told you they are not taking Kenny Pickett in a round one. And for Pickett to be the lone quarterback selected is really quite stunning.
0: You would have, you were a Ritter guy, right? Out of all those yeah. guys,
3: absolutely, yeah. But and even if like you, you know, take Ritter out of the equation, Willis is still like worthy of the first round gamble because of the traits, right? If he hits, he hits big. If Pickett hits you have Mitchell Trubisky. Like, that's who you get. You get someone on the car, Trubisky, Garoppolo spectrum. That's I'm not interested in hitting on that. I'm not interested in, in rolling those dice because even if they land the way I want them to land, I don't really feel like that's a big win for me, right? The Steelers, do they fashion themselves as contenders? Because the whole book on Pickett, all 24 years old and eight and a quarter inch hands of him, is that he's pro-ready. Pittsburgh, that offensive a line ain't pro-ready. So this receiver room is a little bit discombobulated. He's 24? Too. Yeah. Yeah, he's oh, he's a super man. senior. He's turning 24. A,
0: that's a bad pick. You know who else is turning 24? I know, my my Cole, Cole Strange. Strange, I'm aware. It might be one of those things like when um when you have the grandparent who you decide they're not allowed to drive anymore. Oh yeah. Like grandpa bad news. Um mm-hmm. you're not allowed to drive anymore. We you're just yeah. not you, you kind of clipped that parking meter that time. You just we're done. Let's it's for the best. We'll drive you or we'll get it. Like, yeah. I'm worried that the I don't want Belichick to get there, but the, the drafts have been bad now for a couple of years in a row. Last year was okay, but the like three of the last four were bad. And this pick, the look, if they love Cole Strange, that's fine. Maybe he'll be awesome. It's just when people take a guy, you know, 20 to 30 to 40 picks ahead of where they were supposed to go. Yeah, that's kind of just it's either arrogant or weird trade down again. Yeah, right. Get him yeah. in the 40s. Yeah, What's wrong you with that. Pulled it off. Yeah. All right. So round two, we have Bucks, Vikes, Titans, Giants, Texans, Jets, Bears, Seahawks, Seahawks. There will be some quarterbacks, I'm guessing, taken guess in, a co- so, yeah. in a couple of those, right?
3: Yeah, I would guess so. Uh. Seahawks at 40-41 at uh, is a team that has been interested in our boy, Desmond Ritter. Uh, Texas at 37 had Kenny Pickett steam in the betting markets late in the process. I think if he made it through round one, they would have been a picket spot here. Now a bit more of a question mark, but still possible. Titans at 35, we know did their work on the quarterback class. Ryan Tannehill's contract is the biggest quarterback QB uh, cap hit this year, I want to say. He's at least top three. Uh, and then Buccaneers at 33 might have to get ready for their guy leaving. Giants at 36, also the big wild card. That whole, hey, we're going to announce we're not taking Daniel Jones' first or fifth-year option on draft day, but also we still have a week to pick it up later if we want thing is very sneaky. I don't really think they're in the quarterback market, but at this point now, they can't be discounted.
0: You feel a little Baker Mayfield-ish? Tiny Uh, bit? A whiff? A whiff of Baker? (sighs) If I had to
3: guess right now, Baker is a panther. But also, that's such a depressing idea. I really don't don't want to bet it. Um, Baker for the Texans is also, I think, something that has a little
0: bit of legs as well. I'm on the record. Baker is now underrated. I, I don't know how it happened. I'm not a fan. I hated his Progressive Insurance commercials. I bet against him multiple times. You last didn't season. like the Progressive Insurance commercials? I did not. I did not. I don't like when people get commercials who don't deserve commercials. You didn't like smoke alarm in the stadium? No, no, I'm I'm not saying the action. I'm just saying I didn't like seeing him in commercials over other guys. Um, But he's not underrated. He, you know, he's not bad. He's just not necessarily the guy you can win the Super Bowl with, but he's not bad. He's better than Daniel Jones if his shoulder's healthy. What are we doing? He's better than Sam Darnold. I mean, come on.
3: I'm not with you on Jones. I'm with you on Darnold. And I, I, I agree you, with Wait that. a
0: second. You're not with me on Daniel Jones?
3: No. Where Daniel are you? Jones, Daniel Jones is better than Baker Mayfield. Oh, my God. Like a little bit. I'm not oh saying my like, God. you know, buy a cavern here. But I think Daniel Jones is better. Uh, the thing with Baker is Baker is always at his best when he's an underdog. And right now he's back to being an underdog. And that's what's attractive about Baker to me is I think that assuming he's not completely off the rails and totally unhinged. A fired-up Baker, I think, is a good thing for my locker room, especially if I'm a young, listless That's team, why I like him pay- more than Daniel
0: yeah. Jones. Yeah. Well, Daniel Jones isn't firing up a locker room. Baker's at <laughs> least got some charisma. I agree with
3: you. In terms, of, in terms of Monday to Saturday juice in my locker room and then Sunday on my sidelines, I would take Baker over Daniel Jones. Anything that involves throwing the football, I would like Daniel Jones before Baker Mayfield. But Listen, we'll see. There,
0: the there's shoulder. 10 to 12 quarterbacks that actually matter, and then after that, Right. You're, gonna, you're headed toward the same result generally with any yeah. of them. I after might that, as well have just, the guy it's who's got charisma. Podcast content after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Baker certainly giving us a lot of podcast content. Um, any other storylines that popped out from you for this draft? Did like, did like your big picture board for what you thought might happen in the playoffs? Are there like future bets you're thinking about now? Is like, are the Eagles like,
3: yeah, <laughs> there a, were a, a,
0: a fringe contender to you now? Like anybody like that?
3: Yeah, there were a couple people in the community who steamed, like, Hurts MVP and and Eagles odds. I got the little ESPN notification. Caesars, Eagles Super Bowl odds have gone from, like, 50 to 1 to 40 to 1 or, like, 41 to, to 31, something like that. Uh, I do not believe in Jalen Hurts as a playoff quarterback. Uh, I saw what that Buccaneers defense believed of Jalen Hurts, and it was that he could not throw the ball. Uh, it wasn't great. I, yeah, I don't think that changes, even with the addition of A.J. Brown. So I think that's a little bit presumptuous. What I will say is this, uh, two teams who made deep playoff runs last year, who just very quietly added good players who can start n- next year and, and be very quality and important roles for their team are the Buffalo Bills, who got one of my favorite players, Florida corner Kyir Elam. They've always needed a corner two opposite Tredavious White. It's always been a big need for them. And finally, after Tredavious White got hurt, they decided to make that pick. So if White's healthy and Elam can play in year one, the Bills just solved one of the biggest problems they've had over the last couple of years. And then your Super Bowl runner-up, the Cincinnati Bengals, who I don't mm. think should have made it that far, and I don't think will make it that far again, but got one of the the better players left in round one at Dax Hill, who's the corner safety hybrid out, out of Michigan, is exactly what they need. They need a quick player who can cover the slots, a guy who can run underneath Jesse Bates and, and play that nickel role. He's an important player to them. Uh, and so and, I like. And they I beefed like the up Bills. their
0: offensive line and free agency. The Bengals. That, they did. So yep. Bengals twenty-two to one on Fanduel. Bills are the favorite right now, plus six fifty.
3: I, I every year we get to draft time and I just go, Bills, please draft around one corner. Please do it. Please do it. And every year they come up with something else that's creative and cool and it's an important player. But this year they they did, I think, the job. They kind of swallowed the pill and said, our defense can hide cornerbacks only so much. We're going to start investing in this position. So Elam, I liked a lot for the Bills uh, and, and Daxton Hill at, at 31. I liked the Bengals. Uh, I hate everything the Vikings do. Stop training back, make good picks. Um, that's that.
0: The Vikings had they taken Jamison Williams and just put him with Jefferson and said, "Fuck this, <laughs> we're just yeah. going for it." That would have been really yeah. fun. You're, How about uh, the
3: husba on the Lions though with Jamison Williams, man? I mean, you don't, they, you don't even have a quarterback. You know, like you're trading twenty picks to go get a torn ACL receiver at twelve. That's that's a lot of dip on your chip. I respect the move.
0: Well, and you have that legacy of the all-time hit or miss receivers in the first round team. Mm-hmm. The Lions yeah, yeah. are doing it yet again. I was looking at the NFC. I think the best value right now for future bets, if if there is an even value, is who wins the NFC. Because I don't mm-hmm. think we have a dominant NFC team, per se. Your Eagles are 17-1. to
3: It's possible. Again, Like I like the Eagles more for like, I know right before the Brown trade to win the division, they were like plus 275, plus 250, which I liked a little bit more just because, again, like I'm really worried about Hurts against playoff defenses for like two, three weeks in a row. Um, one team... In terms that's plus of, like,
0: 240 right now. Plus 240, yeah, which, yeah. That's right, pretty it, solid, by the way. Yeah,
3: to me, that's still actionable. Uh, yeah. The one NFC contender that had a you know, a bit of a, a meme day is the Packers, who just didn't take a round one receiver. Packers go linebacker one, Quay Walker at 22, who I just thought should be a first-rounder and is a good player, but...
0: I really liked him.
3: Yeah, uh, Quay, Quay's a good player. He's the second linebacker for the team. It's not like they had none, right? They had Devontae Campbell. And then they take Devontae Wyatt, who's a good defensive tackle, but also had massive off the field concerns that were potentially going to push him outside around one. Uh, mm. And they grab him at 28, and they're still throwing the ball at Alan Lazard, baby. Uh, I don't, I do not see the vision. I do not understand the plan. Uh, let's just have Aaron Rodgers win his third MVP in a row, I suppose, and we'll go back to losing the end he's, of the championship again. He's not winning
0: an MVP with the, with the talent that they have on their offense this year. Yeah. That ain't happening. How's he yeah. going to get to 5,000 yards, 4,500 yards?
3: I, I, I do not see the plan unless they really, truly, earnestly believe they can move the Raiders off of Darren Waller, which is what they wanted to do in the Devontae Adams trade. They've been trying to do it for this this, this process here before the draft, but the Raiders went and put Darren Waller on the stage to welcome the NFL to Vegas. They do not feel like a team that wants to move off of Waller. Um, I'm struggling to find the star receiver that they get because Brown is off the board and I would be stunned if the Niners trade Debo to the Packers uh, after, after the way they've seen them repeatedly in the postseason. That would shock me. Uh, And so I I struggle to find that star receiver left that the Packers so desperately need.
0: I can't imagine that either. And I think the price for Debo is more than A.J. Brown. I think so. Yeah. And probably somewhere between Tyreek was more than A.J. Brown, right? I I need to see the whole list, but we didn't. Devontae, nobody went for two firsts out of the receivers. Yeah. Which I I think was a little surprising.
3: Yeah. So Tyreek, Tyreek went for 29, uh, a second, a fourth, a fourth, and a sixth.
0: Oh, Jesus. So, that, was, yeah. that was a
3: lot. Yeah. So I would say... Uh, it's less than that. Yeah. I would Right. The, the difference between first rounders is a, little, is a little substantial, right? A.J. Brown took 18 and Tyreek took 29. But still, having to trade five picks for the player uh, mm-hmm. and, and the second round pick as well is, is pretty substantial, right? Having the remaining picks let the Eagles still be flexible, whereas once the Dolphins did that, it becomes tough to move around, right, in this draft and, and for other players. And so, I don't know. I would, be, I would be curious what the charts would say on that. But I would expect, yeah, like Debo requires a middle first plus, right? Like 10, I thought, was already always a little too much if they made that Jets trade. But like a middle first, then plus something on, on the back end. And that's obviously not viable anymore for 2022. So now it's a 2023 first, which introduces uncertainty. And that means that the price goes up in terms of the extra stuff you have to put in.
0: Who do you have? Sixers, Miami.
3: Sixers and six at all times, in every place, with no doubt. Uh, one of my best buddies is a Heat fan. We've been talking about this for a long time. Uh, I think the Sixers can beat him. I, I, I earnestly do. But with that said, I do love rooting for playoff Jimmy. Uh, and, and he is vindicated in many of his Sixers opinions from years past. And so it's a, it's a win for the Sixers or it's a win for Ben Solak's opinions about the Sixers in 2019.
0: <laughs> well, what a night for you. You, it really was. It, the Eagles-Sixers, it doesn't get much better than that as a combo.
3: I was so grateful during that that like 10, 11, 12, 13 pick. Where like all the trades were happening, right? Eagles were moving up because that was like fourth quarter of the game. And yeah. if I had to be double screening, I think my head would have burst. Uh, so it was very <laughs> nice to just fully lock in on on, uh, on the the trades, fully lock in on the lines, moving up, and uh, not have to worry about the Sixers blowing a 20-point lead. So they weren't at home. You only blow 26-point leads when you're at home. Mm. That's the thing.
0: All right, you can read Ben Solak on the TheRinger.com. You can hear him on The Ringer NFL Show, sometimes on The Ringer Gambling Show as well. Good to see you as always. Thanks so much, Bill. All right, we're taping this part of the podcast. It's a little after seven o'clock. PT just had two basketball games. A third one is happening right now. The NFL draft is happening right now. My TVs are exploding. This is a great time. First game sucked, the Philly game. We'll talk about that in a second. Second game was New Orleans the feel-good first-round loser of this year, Um, pushing Phoenix as far as they could take him. Devin Booker even came back. Phoenix barely wins in the final minute. Some unbelievable Chris Paul. The Pelicans go home. Rob Mahoney, what stood out to you about uh, Game 6?
2: That's a hell of a party favor to take home if you're the Pelicans. You know, I think every year there's a team that is young and kind of bad in the middle of the season and we're wondering... Should they tank for a draft pick? Should they make a push for the playoffs? And I hope we remember this Pelicans team when this happens next year with some other team because they're going into next season with a lot of juice, with a lot of confidence. They played a hell of a
0: series. Um, My friend Kevin Wilds on Twitter compared it to the the Bubble Suns two years ago. And, you know, even though they didn't even make the playoffs that year, they laid some sort of a foundation that convinced them to trade for Chris Paul and. A year later, they are in the finals. KSC, you see any similarities with that?
1: Absolutely, because now they're going to be in a situation where their Chris Paul, you would hope, is going to be Zion Williamson. Uh, with him coming back, if he's able to get in the big if here, but if Zion could get in the best shape of his life and return to the court to a team that has now defensive enforcers like Herb Jones uh, on that end of the floor, when is the last time we've seen a rookie play at his level on the defensive end with C.J. McCollum. Granted, it wasn't a great series for him. If you get C.J. McCollum as the third option between Batine Ingram and Zion, that offense is going to become far more significantly difficult to stop on what for defenses. So, I mean, for Zion, it it all comes down to health. That goes without saying. Um, But it seems like, I'm not sure if you've heard anything about this, Bill, but I don't think New Orleans wanted to bring him back because they still want him to actually get back into the best shape of his life before risking further injury with the condition he's in
0: now. But that's my impression from the people I've talked to. Well, he's not in shape. I mean, you can no, see it from him on the sidelines. If we're going to extend the Bubble Suns comparisons, maybe he could go on a plant de- place diet like uh, Chris Paul did. Because <laughs> Chris Paul basically changed his career when he got in a crazy level of shape. Tonight was unbelievable. I mean, the stuff he's doing... I don't really even know how to have perspective on this older athlete stuff. You know, I think once Brady had the Falcons come back, that was when everybody's brain just started to kind of break with this stuff. LeBron was going to win the scoring title this year for a little bit there. Brady's still winning playoff games. And it's just throwing me off. But the one thing we always kind of knew was that aging point guards, Rob, just weren't supposed to be getting better. There was a point in this game when him and Aiton had made 16 of 16 shots to start the game. <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus. then at the end, he did everything. He had the alley-oop. He's setting up Booker. He, the, it was just dagger after dagger. I, I got to say, offensively, I think this is as good as he's been his whole career. I know that's a crazy thing to say, but that's how I feel. I was there for his whole career. I think this is as good as he's ever been. What do you see?
2: I mean, he's exceptional. Just the level of control that he's able to exercise in the highest pressure moments, in the biggest moments of the game against the best defenders on the floor, the way he's able to pull guys into pick and roll who don't want to be in there, to pick his matchup, to pick his spots. There's just not a lot of guys better than that. I mean, it just really, really pays to have Chris Paul on your team in moments like this. It's the reason the Suns have basically been the gods of crunch time this season. They've been incredible in those situations all year long. And I thought the Suns did some really smart stuff in this game to allow Paul to conserve energy because we've seen Jose Alvarado pestering him full court every time he tries to bring up the ball. So they said, hey, Jay Crowder, you're going to bring up the ball on a lot of possessions. Hey, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, we're going to let you guys bring up the ball to save CP half a court and then get into our offense. I thought that was really smart. And of course, just getting Devin Booker back for this game. He was a shell of himself. He played possum for a lot of he it, made He
0: made one big three, though. They huge, made the one big shot three. of the game for him. Yeah.
2: Absolutely huge, but he played a lot of minutes and he absorbed a lot of attention that that way, at least if Chris Paul doesn't have to force it, it opens up lanes for Bridges, for Aiden, for Johnson, for Crowder, for all these supplementary guys. They had a little bit more space to work with because Booker was out there.
0: Chris Paul was 14 for 14 tonight. I didn't realize mm. he made every shot. Holy mackerel, he made all four free throws. <laughs> he had three turnovers. I mean, the guy's really falling apart here. Three turnovers in a playoff game. I don't know what's going on with them. But um, the the Suns, there was this probably, what, 72-hour stretch there, KOC, when it was like, the Warriors, mm. whoa, things have flipped. And then all of a sudden, Booker's in a game six, and the Suns looked a little Sunsy, even though Booker didn't look 100%. But why do you think they played him tonight? If you had to guess, because he didn't seem 100%, but do you feel like they... Just wanted to get his sea legs back again. And if there's a Game 7, great. But not want to try to try that in a Game 7? This seemed yeah, early. It, it did
1: seem early. I mean, I think it was Willie Green said before the game that he, he anticipated him to return during the series. Um, and he yeah. told his team that. I, I don't think Phoenix would have brought Booker back unless they had reason to believe that there's no risk of further injury. But with that said, though, it was still surprising because hamstring injuries we know historically – He's right? come and go all the time, so m- maybe it was, as you said, getting him back, but I think Rob's right. A lot of that was just him being a decoy, opening things mo- up more for some of his teammates, and I mean, those guys continue to flourish, man. DeAndre Ayton played a sensational game, too. Uh, Mikel Bridges, once again, was outstanding. Yeah, uh, having Devin Booker out there, the spacing he provides, even as just a decoy, does make a difference. And I mean, you did say, Bill, though, like it's been a couple days for about maybe the Warriors. It still is the like about that though. Like the Warriors aren't going away. These teams could be on a collision course for the West Finals.
0: It's going to be awesome. You mentioned Aiton, who so good was just dominant this series. Jesus, yeah. I mean, what did he shoot for? The, I'm looking up on the. Uh, good God,
1: I mean. Seventy percent. the Shot seventy percent
0: for this series. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. the hell? And and you know he's technically he's going to be at least a restricted free agent. If I'm the Suns, you know I thought that I thought they were going to lose tonight without Booker. And it's not like Booker was awesome, but I just I didn't trust Cameron Payne in this game, and he wasn't good. He was one for five. I thought the I thought the Pelicans would play Alvarado more, which it did. The McCollum part, he had another kind of bad one. You know, he got in foul trouble. Um, fifth one was, you know, I I thought it's a tough one when you're trying to get by the guy and the elbow goes up. They call that seemingly half the time, but he just wasn't good in this game. And it goes back to now I might be flip-flopping on the McCollum trade again. (laughs) Um, 30 million a year. I just felt like the whole series, he was having a lot of trouble getting his shot off and he's going to be a year older next year. On the other hand, they'll have Zion next year. But what did you see from McCollum, Mahoney?
2: I mean, on a lot of those possessions, he's blanketed by one of the best perimeter defenders in the league and Mikhail Bridges. So I cut him a little bit of slack, especially because he wasn't wildly productive in this game, 16 points, but his makes were big time makes. Like yep. he and Ingram had some amazing flashes of shot making where, you know, you need to get your Herb Joneses and your Valanchunas's kind of cleaning up transition and dirty work buckets and filling the gaps here and there, but you need your stars to hit those exact shots. And that's what kept him in the game, like Ingram and McCollum delivering in those moments. I would have loved to see a version of this game where CJ doesn't pick up that fifth foul, where he's able Mm. to play something more like 39, 40 plus minutes because him being out of the game, although they held water and that in itself is a testament to how together this team is and how much they've been able to scrap and figure things out. They need him. They need him in those moments. And as KOC alluded to, like you put Zion in this mix, hypothetically, All those CJ McCollum looks look a lot cleaner all of a sudden. He's getting a lot more spot-up threes, and it turns a 16-point night like this one into a 24-point night all of a sudden.
1: And you can use Zion as a screener for CJ, too, and that opens up brand-new dimensions
0: for both of those guys as players. Lovable Pelicans team. Their bench. So Nance, who I think all of us have liked, but just Mm. seemed like year after year he was on the wrong team. (laughs) And then this team... He was unleashed as the guy we always thought Larry Nance could be on a good team, potentially. Murphy, looks like they got something yeah. with him. Made like a 29-footer mm-hmm. in the game, which was good. And then uh, the huge. Alvarado thing, I was thinking there was two really cool things about this series. One <laughs> one was just Alvarado, who's you know, the classic anti-lottery pick, basically, bouncing around, anybody could have had him. And he's just going toe-to-toe with one of the best point guards of all time in a real way, in a way that the Suns are having Jay Crowder dribble the ball up with like three minutes left to try to save the miles on Chris. And he was just doing a bunch of playoff stuff. Like that guy is a playoff guy. <laughs> hands yep. down, that guy is the guy you want in the playoffs. The other thing, and they TNT did a good job at the end, was Willie Green, you know, uh, shaking hands and hugging some of the Suns guys and how emotional everybody was. And it makes you think like, you know, how many jobs change hands every year in the NBA? It's usually like six to eight, six to nine, something like that. Here's Willie Green, who worked for a bunch of great coaches, who is a really respected teammate, who ha- obviously had some really, really, really deep relationships. Even you could see him saying goodbye to Paul and Booker. And it took like an extra, what, two years for him to get hired? What happened with that KOC? I
1: mean, I, like, so- sometimes timing is everything. And, and with yeah. Willie Green... Uh, th- It's got like right now, Darwin Ham is one of those guys with the Milwaukee Bucks where they've interviewed for a couple jobs. Mm. And, you know, you know, it's inevitable that they're going to get an opportunity. It just sometimes it doesn't come. But for Willie Green, though, like, doesn't it seem like he is the right guy for this job after we dealt with the Stan Van Gundy experience? Because with SVG, you know, David Griffin, when he explained that hiring, he said he wanted to hire a coach who could hold Zion and Ingram accountable and turn them into, you know, trustworthy defensive players, but it, the, 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 it didn't work, you know, but I think the logic behind that made a little bit sense. Willie green just turned out to be the right voice for that. And having those guys. Now you would hope you would hope Zion comes back next season and isn't playing some lackluster defense. You'd hope that like after everything that he saw, if you're Zion, how could you, how could you look at this situation and want to go anywhere else? Like, how would you not want to play for Willie Green or get in the best shape of your life to win with these guys? Because I don't know, I don't like Rob and Bill. Like, do you guys? Am I overreacting to think that the Pelicans could actually contend if if they get the Zion we saw last season? Not at all. Ne- I, ne- I, yeah, I thought yeah.
0: Zion was like a top twelve guy last oh, year. He was a- unbelievable. He was. And the the rest of the
2: infrastructure is here. Like the supporting yes. stars are here. The role players are there. Willie Green. To what you were saying, Kev. Like not only did he hold guys accountable and he you know set the right culture, he had a really good X's and O's season. Mm, he was doing some really exactly. inventive stuff to incorporate their best players at the same time where it wasn't a your turn, my turn, CJ and Brandon in- Brandon Ingram offense. Those guys are collaborative. And you put Zion in there, one of the most unusual and unguardable players in the league. I- I'm, I'm very, I can't wait to
0: see what Willie Green does with that combination of guys. Well, I can't wait to see what the Pelicans do with their payroll next year because right now it's 141. And that's locked in, and we haven't even added draft picks, anything else. The The other piece is if they wanted to make a trade other than an OKC, nobody has more picks than them. If they wanted to get frisky um, and maybe try to upgrade, I don't even know what the spot would be. Maybe if they tried to upgrade the Valen spot or whatever. But
1: how about the CJ spot?
0: Well, maybe. I mean, Ow, he's just th- th- already just throwing, it,
1: just throwing it out there. I'm just saying.
0: It could be I mean, look, C- look, CJ and some picks for like Bradley Beal or something. that. Exactly, yeah, who knows?
1: Exactly, like like I mean, Rob, you said it earlier. Like Zion coming back helps CJ, but yeah. I don't I don't think Zion coming back means Mikkel Bridges is going to be not defending CJ McCollum. I, I still think he's the fact he didn't shine in 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 the matchup against the the guy you might have to get past next year. That That's a little bit concerning for me. Um, like CJ can be upgraded. And plus, if Zion isn't going to be great defensively, having CJ and Zion closing games means you have two weaker defenders that could be attacked. So it's important for Zion to get better defensively. Uh, but upgrading off of CJ or Jonas Valanciunas, like you said, Bill, that should be on the table for New Orleans. You yeah. have all the picks to do everything.
0: Rob is devastated right now. Y'all, he was y'all really, are he was flooded. He really, Man. he really loved this Pelicans team. He just broke it up. <laughs> <laughs> he just traded oh, CJ in picks for Bradley Beal. What just we, we we tried to trade CJ
1: from Portland for like seven years, and we're already we trying to <laughs> trade him from New Orleans. <laughs>
2: everyone on this Pelicans team is talking about how great CJ McCollum has been for them as a leader,
0: as a culture yes. setter, and it's like, no, he's, no, he's let's gone. Him, him in two picks. He's out of here. <laughs> They have definitely emerged as a top five most interesting summer team. And there's there's two different types of summer teams, right? Where it's like desperate where you throw the Lakers in there, but then you throw in like a team like Utah that we don't know what's going to happen yet in the Dallas-Utah game because we haven't gotten there yet. But the, if Utah loses tonight, that could just be a, a pure blow it up. You have a team like the Knicks that probably there's a fundamental kind of need to do something to try to I don't know. Which way are we going? Can we get can we get a star? What are we doing? Uh, but then you have a team like the Pelicans that, you know, are now one move, two moves away from maybe being the fourth best team in the West. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like that fourth spot's up for grabs. And you have Denver with the guys coming back, and you have Minnesota making the leap, you know, and then obviously you have Phoenix, Memphis, mm-hmm. and Golden State as the top three. But that the way, we could see a situation where all of a sudden the West is better than the East again. Um, Let's take a break and we'll talk about a very disappointing second half in the Philly-Toronto game for people Mm. who were excited for a lot of drama because it was not dramatic. All right, so it's 62-61 at halftime of the Philly-Toronto game. All the breadcrumbs are being laid for what would have been just an incredibly fun basketball situation of Philly going home to an absolute snake pit when things go wrong, having blown a 3-0 lead with a game seven home. And instead it goes the other way and they absolutely annihilate the Raptors. All of a sudden it was like 95-72. They, I think they went on like a 35-14 run. They were scoring easily. Harden had a hop in a step, looked like he had some coffee today. Maxey started making some threes. But really, in the first half, Danny Green hit four threes that I felt like kind of kept them lingering while they tried to figure out how to get some stops. And Toronto, honestly, just wasn't deep enough with that seven-man team. No Van Vliet. But um, are you more bullish, Rob, on this Philly team after that second half? Or do you feel exactly the same? How could you not be more bullish? You know, I think they... They were a supernova offensively
2: in the first game of this series. But I actually thought this was their even, this was even more impressive in terms of what they did on offense because Toronto was more together. They had finally found a rhythm for their defense and the Sixers just came in and overwhelmed them anyway. And it wasn't one thing. It wasn't just Maxi having a huge game like it was in game one. Embiid was amazing. Harden was so much better and so much more aggressive in this game than he was in game five. And you have Maxi finding his spots and you have the ball moving. To Danny Green, as you mentioned, to finding all these role players. I mean, they just slammed the door on this series in such an emphatic way in that second half. I can't help but be impressed with that, especially with for Embiid to look this good with one hand. That bodes pretty well for how they're going to look in the next round. see?:
1: And plus with Harden, like you said, looked like he had some coffee he had some energy, a bit burst in his step, and, and that's going to be encouraging too. But I mean, look, like with Harden, you're, you might not get the, the scoring every night from him. He hit that step back three tonight, but you are going to get the playmaking. And I think with Harden, that's one of the areas where despite all the knocks and the concerns about his decline as a scorer and the burst, getting to the basket, the passing ability and the way him and Maxi meshed together. I mean, we saw it in the third quarter. Both of those guys played all 20 minutes, uh, all 12 minutes in the in the third quarter, both were a plus 20 in that third period. Maxi was unbelievable. Harden's the guy who slows it down, and Maxi's the guy who speeds it up. Uh, I just I just love the fit between those two guys and how depending on the matchup and depending on who the opponent in the situation is, either of those guys can be your creator, your spark on offense from the perimeter. So for Philadelphia, I mean, yeah, you feel a little bit more optimism. Um, I think they could maybe get past Miami because Jimmy Butler, we'll see about his health. I still don't see them getting past Boston or Milwaukee in these finals. Um, But, you know, if Harden continues to improve, then that changes things, of course.
0: KOC, as you were talking, the Patriots traded down. Oh, no which is the official there. sign of spring. Yeah. It's like yeah. <laughs> daylight savings time, pollen, and the Patriots trading down. They traded with the Chiefs. They're down to twenty nine. No surprises classic. there. Yep. every my, year. It, my I, my dad didn't even talk about it this year because we just assumed it was going <laughs> to happen. The uh, the thing with Philly, that I don't know how this plays out in a playoff series. But when you think about it, I make this point a lot. It's one of my best points. You only have to win four of seven games. So basically, it's slightly more than fifty percent of the time you you have to be the good version of yourself. And with Philly, when Maxi is good, they're a completely different team. Mm. And when Harden's trying, which you would think like I, if his back's to the wall, whatever. But to me, Maxi is their swing guy. When he has it going like he had tonight, it's a pretty frightening team. And i was trying to think like the with the Miami matchup, you know, I, Koc made the point about Butler. Lowry, I think, is another one. Who knows if that guy can play for two weeks in a row. Um, they do have some some length to throw at Harden. They have the band piece. They're coming off a high of what they did to Trey Young. And so on that end, it's like I like the matchup for Miami. On the other end, I, I could see a world where like Miami's not totally healthy. Maxi plays well four times. They get one good Harden game. They get the Embiid 30-point a night thing, and maybe they hang around. I would bet on Miami, but I'm not as much as I don't love this Philly team. I don't, I don't really love the Miami team either. What do you think, Rob?
2: I think Butler's health and explosiveness are huge. You know, they're going to be absolutely huge in that series. Like how how much he's able to work over individual mismatches because we even saw it in this game. The Raptors were incredible offensively when it was Pascal Siakam picking his mismatch, and attacking dudes. And it was Tobias Harris, it was Maxi, it was Harden. All three of those guys were getting picked on and Siakam is scoring. Butler can do a lot of the same stuff, but with much better spacing around him, with actual shooters who can give him room to work. And so if he's explosive enough to still work that basic formula, I think Miami could be super dangerous. And then there's the question of, like we've seen Harden do this, and we know he can explode in this way. But if he could do this, why didn't he in the previous game. like I, He's such a confounding player in that way because it's every time you have a big moment, you're never quite sure how James Harden's going to respond to it. That leaves you on pretty uneven footing in, in a series against a hyper-competitive team like Miami. It, it certainly has me guessing as to who's going to win that series. I've got no freaking clue. Um, yeah, this is but, almost but,
0: a don't bet on it series. <laughs> I, yeah, I would, st- I would keep your money far away from that series. I like your point about Harden because I actually feel the opposite most of the time, if it's really? a big game, I feel like I know what's going to happen, which is he's not uh, going to be very good. Uh, well, That's this was why I started, big game, today though. was surprising. I thought he was excellent. This was excellent. a perfect response. This was yeah. a perfect response by him.
2: Like, first quarter, right, right out of the gate. He got his first dunk in this game, I think, or sorry, his second dunk since January. Not a yeah. great metric over his last few months of health and mobility and explosiveness. Has not been any kind of vertical athlete, to say the least, but... He got up for this one and he was going, he's marching to the free throw line in the first quarter too.
1: It's going to be interesting to, oh. to see the matchups as well. Like, because you mentioned Butler and Lowry uh, during the regular season, Butler defended Ty- Tyrese Maxey 54 times, according to the second spectrum, the most for Miami defenders. Lowry was second at 39 times. And if either one or two of those guys, it creates the a domino effect in favor of Philadelphia. Cause now you get the Harden equation in there compared to their past matchups. and despite some of his limitations. Despite some of the past performances you're talking about, Bill, this is this is a brand new environment and a brand new situation for Harden now. Where now there's the option of oh, rather than having to deal with Harden against the team's the opponent's best defender, oh, you can throw it into and beat on the post. Oh, you can kick it out to Maxi, who's going to make a quick, decisive decision, attacking a closeout. You know, rotating the pass for a corner three. Like it, the the circumstances are different for Harden now. Where if the scoring isn't there, he can lean into the playmaking on nights like he did tonight. So, yeah, I, I'm with Rob there that with Harden, you don't always know what you're going to get, um, but I think now we uh-huh. are starting to find out that he can lean
0: into the passing when he needs to. When you talk about a new environment, I think we should include South Beach as an environment, too, that might be an advantage <laughs> for <laughs> Miami with Harden. <laughs> that's, a good, that's fair. The <laughs> the last I, will not, time,
1: I will not argue that. <laughs>
0: the last time he played Miami in a series, he was terrible. Who knows?
1: <laughs> I, I won't argue that. <laughs> the
0: uh, the Ola Depot piece of this, So they basically, Mm. he was, I guess, in the closet, like on on the top shelf underneath some sweaters and a couple hats and they pulled them out. And by the end of game five, they're running like one four with him at the top and he's beating guys off the dribble and slashing, kicking and was like their dominant creator guy. And we hadn't seen him. There was all kinds of weird rumors about Jimmy Butler and him refuting, and Jimmy Butler had felt like he had to refute it in the press. But from what I saw in that game, I think Old Depot is a factor in this series because, especially with the Philly bench, and I don't trust, I don't trust their bench at all. But if they can get anything from Old Depot in a second unit way, plus with the shooting they have, and the fact that Philly, I think, is one kind of team when they're up fifteen, another kind of team. They're down six and guys aren't really rotating, and all of a sudden there's some wide open threes. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think he's one of the keys to the series. I feel like he could dominate their bench. What do you think, Rep?
2: Well, he definitely seems like a swing player in a vein that the Sixers don't really have. I guess Maxi is the closest thing, but Maxi seems pretty essential to the Sixers at this point. Yeah, he point.
0: played like 40 minutes
2: today. <laughs> so when you, when you look at Philly's bench in particular, it's like, who are you counting on to have a huge game, like to step up and have that signature? You know, like game five, they have a 13 point second half and it really breaks things open for you. I don't know who that guy is. Well, and I'm going to read you their bench.
0: What? I'll read you the bench bins today. Niang was 21, Reed was 12, Shake Milton, eight, Cork five, and then two garbage time guys. They, they don't have a bench. How about no. DJ? Wow. That, that'll that be. No, a I'm, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm kidding. I'm maybe, kidding. <laughs>
2: maybe that's the big win is that because Philly is playing another small
0: team, DeAndre Jordan will hopefully continue to not yeah, play. And those, those exactly wrong. Exactly <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. So they're gonna need a lot of Maxi, And then, you know, the Lowry piece of this, this is why they got Lowry for a series like this, right? To do aggro Kyle Lowry stuff and to take a young buck like Maxi and school him a little bit on the other side with Harden, do a whole bunch of stuff to piss him off, get a couple charges. But is that guy gone? We, is he, are we going to get 90% Lowry or 80% Lowry, hundred percent Lowry? Like I have no idea. Neither do you guys. So what, what do
1: you, what did we get from him during the season? Was it like 75% Lowry, something like that compared to past performance?
0: Yeah, well, going back to the Chris Paul thing, Lowry looked like a guy who's been in the league for a long time and has Mm. some good nights and some bad nights and some minor injuries. And then there's Chris Paul going 14 for 14 (laughs) the deciding playoff game. But yeah, if you told me I'm going to get a relatively healthy Lowry and a relatively healthy Butler, I would pick Miami. I just... I don't really trust it. Do you Do you guys, you guys are both on podcasts on the Ringer Podcast Network. Do the Miami fans get mad at you guys that you don't talk about Miami enough? There's a constant, write- constant thing with them about how they're not discussed enough. And I think the answer from a podcast conversation standpoint is it's really hard to talk about teams that just have so many, you know, non-absolutes. Where it, it, you're just constantly talking and, oh, if this happens and, and we're going to get that. And I, I don't really know how to talk about. How should we talk about Miami?
2: Well, Miami fans are mad you don't talk about them enough. Philly fans are mad about the way you talk about their team. And if you bring <laughs> up anyone besides Embiid for MVP, all of these things. It just, yeah. This is going to be a very interesting series in terms of uh, just angst all around, I think. <laughs> but, but you're right about the Heat. Like They've had one big question over their whole season. Will you have enough half court offense when it counts? Uh, and until we see it, we just kind of have to throw up our hands and take best guesses and and look at Oladipo and look at Butler's health and trying to kind of extrapolate where they might stand at the end of the day. But this is going to be a great test. Philly can be a really good half court defense when they're when they're set, when they're locked in, when Embiid is in the right positions. Like that's a hard team to score on, and I think I think it's going to be fascinating to watch how they how they perform in that capacity because we just don't know.
1: I think along those same lines, Rob, like the way to talk about Miami is how they shapeshift. To beat you in so many different ways. Like, you know, you mentioned old Depot Bill and the big night he had with 23 points, you know, celebrating at the end of the game. Well, sometimes it's Duncan Robinson going off for eight three pointers. Sometimes it's Max Struff and Max Struff and dribble handoff action. Sometimes it's Tyler Hero, high pick and roll isolation. Sometimes it's Butler, downhill attacks. Sometimes it's BAM. It's always somebody different on this Miami roster. And I mean, that's the way I think about them and why they were the number one seed in the East is because. They were something different at every single stage of the season. And within a series, you could see all of those different uh, personalities against this Philly defense. And I mean, that's why I would pick Miami in the series. Um, If you get at least Butler at at healthy, Lowry, I'm less concerned about. Um, But they need Butler in the series against Philadelphia. But if they have him, um, again, they can beat you in so many different ways. But I who think they the, are
2: at this stage in the season is a team that just put the absolute clamps on Trey Young for an entire mm-hmm. series, even in a closeout game without two of their best
0: defenders. And I forgot to talk about that on my podcast that I did Tuesday night with Harrell, Bob. By the end of it, Trey was like a boxer who had been knocked down five times and was just <laughs> being carried out of the ring. That was unbelievable. Did that change their opinion on Trey Young at all? Or is that just bad matchup, bad series, not enough help? It, it changed it.
1: Like my opinion a bit.
0: Okay, let's hear it.
1: I think with Trey, it brought back some of the pre-draft concerns. How how does he create against massive amounts of length? Um, how effective can he be defensively? What does he bring to the floor other than his scoring and playmaking? But can he do it off ball? The answer was no, oftentimes in that in that game. Like you have, if you look at Atlanta's roster. I think Trey should be so much better than he is off ball. When you have Kevin Hurd or when you have Bogdanovich, granted, uh, in that game he didn't play, but throughout the season, like Trey, if you're Trey Young, why would you, why would you lean into the the to your inner Harden instead of your inner Steph? Like I, I just think he should be so much more dynamic off ball as a cutter, off screens and handoffs than he's been. And if if I'm him, like that's the number one focus for me in the off season is becoming a guy who's a constant threat on the floor instead of somebody who is a bystander when the ball's not in my hands. That's the biggest flaw in Trey's game, in my opinion, and the most solvable issue that he has.
2: And it, it really comes out in games like that, just the lack of secondary creation, the lack of another guy who can help generate offense, when, especially when Bogdanovich isn't out there. Some of that is the roster. Some of that is the players they have. Some of it is a lack of investment in the guys they do have. Like In an alternate timeline, could John Collins have become that guy? Maybe, but because of his health this season, and because they put him on kind of a different developmental path, he's become really reliant on Trey. All of these guys have, and so while I love the minutes they got out of like Darrell Wright as their backup point guard and kind of what he gives them, it's just not what they need. They like they he needs a Jalen Brunson in the way that Luca has gotten one. Oh, you interesting. Know, you can be a, you can be a dominant creator, but you need somebody to help share that workload with you.
0: Well, I they think also they, the Hunter game, and just Hunter in general. Now he's also their biggest trade chip. If they really wanted to upgrade and get Trey, like a true famous second star, I really like Hunter. I like to me that I I don't want to say anyone's untouchable who hasn't like made an all star team, but I just like that guy. I think their goal should be: can we turn all these other pieces and some future picks into a third guy with Trey and Hunter? But I thought the trade thing was alarming. I didn't. The thing that was the most disturbing, I think, was that he lost his swagger, which I wasn't expecting. I thought, at the very least, he's like one of those old gunslingers who would go down it's, fighting every time. Th- you know?
1: That that relates to my thought, though, Bill, because he he lost his swagger because he c- couldn't offer anything else when it was taken away right. from him on ball this season during the regular season. He ran only twenty four plays off of screens. Trey Young, it, people talk about him as one of the best shooters in basketball. Steph took two hundred and fifty six. Uh, possessions off of screens. Clay had 180, but Bo- Boyan Bogdanovich had 157. Jason Tatum had 154, just to throw some high numbers out there, like Trey at 24 with his shooting ability. Yeah. If he, if, he, if he doesn't have it on ball, you got to give him something else where he can still be a factor for you. And, and that's both on the coaching staff on McMillan and their staff, but also on Trey, like he's going to buy in and and embrace that role. Cause then if the swagger has gone on ball, then you can do it off ball like that. That's that to me is I, I I'm baffled how he doesn't have that in his game yet.
0: And to, So we think Miami for that series. Rob seems like he thinks Philly. Mm. I think I think Philly won you know. over tonight, Rob.
2: I mean, like Embiid looks good, and and for everything I said about you know Jimmy Butler working mismatches, Harden's going to have his crack at Tyler Hero, at Duncan yep. Robinson, at those guys like
1: hundred percent.
2: I, I, there's there's a lot of give and take to this series. I think I would lean
0: Heat slightly, but I, I don't feel super confident about it. I think the key will be is if Philly falls behind, Doc Rivers has to do another press conference where he debunks <laughs> all of his bad coaching moments one by one. Go look at that. Go on Basketball Reference. And go look at that Magic roster. Go look at the minutes Daryl Armstrong played.
2: We, yeah, we're talking about the roster that had Tracy McGrady on it, right? Like 32 <laughs> point a game, Tracy
0: McGrady, <laughs> right. that one. Go look at... Oh, uh, I, I couldn't believe he did that. And by the way, he just kind of glossed over the last one and then he's like, but it wasn't the bubble. Like, he's, <laughs> <laughs> I loved it so much. Oh, my God. Um, okay, so before we go, Boston-Milwaukee, quick, just to get KOC your thoughts and Rob your thoughts because I'm not going to have another podcast till Sunday and that will be after game one. I really like the Celtics in this series without Middleton. That is not a hot take. I just think Middleton has always killed them. You go through the history of Celtics Bucks games, he's always been a bad matchup. It's been, it's just one of those guys. When you root for a team, there's just certain guys in the league where it's like, oh no, it's that guy. Oh, he kills us. And it's weird because you wouldn't think he would totally kill a team that has always had good wings for most of the last six years, but he has. Taking him out. I just don't see how the Bucs are going to have the offense. And I continue to think, as I've said on multiple podcasts, that people are just completely sleeping on the Celtics defense and some of the stuff that's been going on. The way Milwaukee wins is if Giannis just throws everybody on his back and just does, you know, has one of the all-time series. But Rob, am I, the Celtics are two-to-one favorites. Am I wrong to think that it could even be a little bit higher potentially?
2: Yeah, I feel like you're asking us this question because you know we're going to say Celtics. Like I, Boston's been so good. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to talk yourself out of them without Middleton. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm totally with you. Middleton changes the dynamic of that series, but otherwise, you can see the games in which Giannis scores 42, 43 points and Milwaukee still loses because their shooters don't hit. Or Drew Holiday has a really bad offensive night with really sloppy handle. That kind of stuff could happen. And and that's, that's, you know, notwithstanding the possibility that this, the best defense in the NBA, could actually give Giannis some trouble, could actually put a lot of bodies and rotate a lot of guys in front of him over the course of a game. Boston looks really formidable. They look like one of the most confident, one of the most polished teams of the playoffs. We'll see about their offense against this Milwaukee defense, which can be very good. And if, if Milwaukee can hit their stride on that side of the ball, that's kind of the equalizer. But it's hard to pick against Boston right now. KSC?
1: No, I I agree with Rob there. I, like I'd go Boston at six right now because of the middle of Middleton factor and how high on I am on him. I mean, th- th- this dude's an amazing bucket getter, and Boston's going to be able to match up so much more and help off of some of these guys more to contain Giannis. Uh, like the number, like you said, Bill. If Giannis, this is a a series for him that is a legacy defining series if he is able to get through the Celtics defense because. What Boston has done in the new year cannot be underrated defensively. While offensive rating was at its highest all time, Boston was leading in defensive rating by far. Like It wasn't even close what yep. like they were this season. The fact they did what they did to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, people can knock the nets all they want talk about the holes, and that's fair, but this defense is legit, legit. And so for Giannis, if he's able to get through, the Celtics defense and continue to lead Milwaukee to the East finals, despite how great Boston is. I mean, that that's just going to further elevate him. Like, where is he on your all time rankings right now? And and like, if he, if he does get past Boston, does that, does that move him up at all? Just based off of the circumstances at all? Cause like, I, I, like you can't count out Giannis, even though I'm picking the Celtics in this series, you can't count him out with his greatness.
0: So my question is: Let's get let's just pencil in the best possible Giannis series. Let's give them yeah. thirty, thirty five, and fifteen every game. Yep. I still think they could lose the series in like five or six, even if you give him those stats. It, it reminds me a little of that LeBron Orlando series in '09, when LeBron mm. was just incredible, and he I think he had like thirty five a game, thirty six a game, something like that. And it just didn't matter. Orlando, Orlando was like cool, and just basically blew him off the floor. So. KOC, to answer your question. Now, I haven't updated the pyramid in a couple months. I had Giannis at 19. Mm. Just a hair above Elgin Baylor and Julius Irving and Bob Pettit and Kevin Garnett, Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, just because the two MVPs, everything that happened in the finals, assuming he's only 27, even if, you know, wh- whatever's going to happen in the next six years, I doubt it's going to be too crazy. It'll probably be on the same pace of where he's going. And it just, to me, he's clearly headed for the top group. I, I don't see any scenario where he's not. He's, and the Durant thing basically parted the C for him where he is unquestionably the best player in the league now. I think that's the one thing that's happened in these playoffs that, right? Is it, Rob, is there, is it unquestionable now that he's the best guy in the league or would you still have somebody else in that conversation? He's the guy I feel most certain about to
2: the point that you, know, you said let's pencil in a best case scenario for him of, of 35 and 15. I'm not sure that's a best case scenario. Like I think he he almost did those numbers against the Bulls and they he, you know they kind of sleptwalked through the last 3 games cuz they were functionally blowouts. He could be even more dominant than that yeah. in a, in a series even against a high level team. Like I think he's at the point physically where he is almost defense independent. He's not a guy like Durant where he shoots over the top of you, but you just can't build a wall in front of him. He's so good at maneuvering around specifically guys who are trying to draw charges at this point. I'm not sure what you're supposed to do in terms of building a game plan to stop him other than you know, you have five guys with a foot in the paint and you're just going to try to do the best you can to at least clutter
0: his space. But even then, he could still get 30. KOC, you know the one thing he's added over the last year and he had it already, but now it's like a badass version of it. He has the LeBron move that LeBron added the second half of his career when he puts the shoulder down and puts it into the guy. It's kind of an offensive foul, but they're just never going to call it because you can't call a foul on somebody just being three times stronger than everyone else on the court. But <laughs> he is he's just so physically imposing now when he puts his body into somebody, they have to go backwards. And he's figured out how to use that in this way that when he has a head of steam now, he's just getting the call every time. They don't... they. They don't know how to call it. Otherwise, it's really smart. And LeBron, I, I feel like LeBron created that. I don't remember anybody from previous generations having that move. But Giannis just tapping into his like crazy physicality now. Look, it's a little Shackish. It's a little LeBronish. But um, do you feel like that's relatively new, KOC?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's got that move. He's he's got the a, a more efficient fade away from. Yeah, I like range as well. He's got a better, more, far more efficient pull up jumper as well. Like, isn't it? Isn't it amazing how Giannis scores 50 and in a in a clinching game in the finals and he wins finals MVP. Marin Fader releases releases her book about him. Everybody loves Giannis. And then he comes back better. He comes back a better player after that. I, I agree with Rob that I don't think 35 in, you know, points is the best case scenario for Giannis. He averaged 38. In the last five games of the finals, after his limited game one, when he came back from that scary-looking injury, thirty-eight points. I, I think Giannis, the best case without Chris Middleton, is forty. I, I really think Giannis is capable of something like that. Like this is a historic player, a guy who's gonna eventually be in your pantheon. He's gonna be there eventually. It's just a matter of when. Um. So for I don't think I don't think the
0: Celtics let that happen. KFC. I think they'll trap him. I think they're going to double him. I think they're going to make Wesley Matthews and all these other dudes beat them.
1: So so you think they overload on Giannis to the yeah, point that they take it's gonna, out. It, it has to be everybody else. But they don't what, want what him
0: if, to foul out people and they're going to, They're going to basically do what they did to the Nets, but well, well, well,
1: playing devil's advocate here. Well, what if you're getting more six out of nine from three by Pat Connaughton, more more knockdown shooting games from Grayson Allen, and it becomes to a point that, oh, maybe we can't help as much off of these knockdown shooters. Behind the three point That's line, what they if did get, to
0: the Nets, they were fine with Dragic and Curry. Mm, they 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 yeah. gave those shots up. They were okay yeah, with
1: it. Dra- Dragic isn't the shooter that those guys are, and Curry was limited too. So I mean, I, wow, I you're, the, you're
0: comparing Grayson Allen to Dragic? What, this is unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> better God, better a spot
1: in a trade. Be, better spot off shooter. I, I just think with Milwaukee, like if they get the knockdown shooting from those Middleton replacements, then mm. that opens the
0: opportunity for Giannis.
1: Yeah, uh, look, I mean, I'm picking the Celtics in the series. But you you can never count out Giannis. That's what I, I learned over there. So I'm can't not count counting out
0: Giannis. Out. I'm not. That's that's why I'm I'm treading very carefully. I am going <laughs> to mutter this in a very in a very low voice, and I don't want to sound like I'm being confident or anything. I'm just I'm just asking a question. Who's guarding Jason Tatum in this series?
2: Hmm. I think it's probably Drew. I,
0: that's not going to last long.
2: I mean, it's either him or Wes Matthews, I would think, primarily.
0: The thing you know, that they, Tatum, they like to they like to keep Giannis off the ball. The thing that Tatum has figured out in this crazy evolution he's had over the last four or five months is if you're guarding him with a small guy he's shooting over that guy. And he's figured out either how to take that guy to the basket or shoot over him. And I think it's gonna have to be those Wes Matthews, you know, the just like the taller guys besides. And I think at the end of the games it might have to be Giannis. I yeah. think they're going mean, to have a choice do it for a
2: fourth quarter or something like that. I just don't think for the bulk of a game, he's going to be mostly on Horford or Rob Williams. or Last Tice five or minutes, like I that.
0: think it's going to be Giannis. And I think they're going to have to do the thing where they put the small forward on Horford and dare the this. Hey, you should post up Al Horford. He's right there. He's got a six, five guy on him. You should, you should give him the ball. It, it was Drew
1: Holiday during the season. He defended Tatum for 107 possessions. Uh, Chris Middleton defended him for twenty, like just to you know put that out there. So Holiday was the primary defender, but with Milwaukee playing more three bigs with Bobby Portis, Brook Lopez, hey, and can- Giannis out there, may- maybe maybe to like Rob's point, maybe for the most part of the game you're keeping Giannis near the rim, but maybe in end game situations it's Lopez and Bobby Portis as your help defenders inside, and then Giannis is the guy on ball. Against Tatum, like that, that's that's going to be fascinating to watch. But that's again like another thing that Giannis is going to have to do for the the Bucks to have any chance of winning the series. Giannis is going to have to be out of this world. Simple as that.
0: I don't think yeah. they can play that Lopez Porter Giannis lineup for too much against the Celtics team with the wings that the Celtics. Yeah, all have. the spacing. Yeah, yeah, and, you and, and that, that was huge the for them. That was yeah. huge
2: against the Bulls. Like Portis turned out to be a great fit in that lineup, and it was really productive. A little
0: different little different look against the Celtics. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to uh, we're going to stop here. If for some reason the Dallas Utah is incredible, I'm bringing you guys back. So you're on call. You're like doctors. You're in, you're in your little <laughs> office wearing your scrubs just in case anything happens. <laughs> Otherwise, Rob Mahoney, Kevin O'Connor it was great to see. you. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to KOC and Rob and the Terminator Ben Solak. Thanks to Kyle Crane for producing. Thanks to Steve Surdy and Don Berkey as well. I will see you on this feed on Sunday. Round two of the playoffs, basketball. We we'll talk about that and a whole bunch more with Ryan Visclos. See you then.